Well, this morning, um, we're going to continue on the series that we've been in uh, for the last five weeks called Common Practices. Now, this series, um, we've been tracking along with a great book called The Common Rule by Justin Early, um, which lays out four daily and four weekly habits or practices for us to engage in. And as we've said, these habits can form a kind of structure in our life, much the way that, that a trellis forms a structure on which a vine can grow. These habits or practices of, uh, of our life that we do daily and weekly can actually form a kind of structure that our life grows on. And, and just to give you a quick catch up, quick, re quick recap, because we're right in the middle of the series, right at the halfway point, we've covered all the daily practices uh, and that includes daily prayer. So we talked about um, praying, um, kneeling prayer three times a day. Uh, we've talked about the daily practice of eating at least one meal with other people so that we're not eating alone. We're recognizing the, the relational value of meals. We've talked about uh, setting aside your phone, taking at least one hour a day and turning your phone off um, so that you can concentrate and be present with the people um, that you're present with physically. And then last week, Norton talked uh, with us about the value of uh, reading scripture before we engage with our phone or technology, really starting our day uh, by engaging in scripture. And if you're new or if you're just visiting with us or jumping in in the middle of this series, don't worry. You can always uh, pick up the book, go on our, our website and, and listen to any of the past messages that you want to if you want to catch up. And, and if you have been tracking along, I just, it's important, I think, right now here at the midpoint, just to take a deep breath and pause and, and remember that this is a process. That if, if you're not nailing this so far, if you're not just crushing all of these practices and doing them all perfectly every single day, don't be discouraged. Perfection is not the standard, especially for those of you who are perfectionists or overachievers. Um, you may need to be reminded um, that changing our habits and our practices, it takes time. And the most lasting change actually happens when we make small changes. And we do them consistently over time. That's when the impact of these things begin to build momentum. So if you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed, or if you're feeling like this is a little bit much, or, or you're falling behind, or you don't feel like you can do these, and you're tempted to quit, don't quit. Maybe just set some of them aside and just focus on one or two and come back to the others later. That's okay. And, and maybe most important of all, remember what the author says in the book. Our habits can't change God's love for us but God's love for us can and should change our habits. Remember, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. There's nothing we can do good or bad to make God love us more or make him love us less. But as we experience that love, as we begin to realize that there's nothing that we have to do to make God love us more, that he really wants something for us, not something from us, it changes the way that we choose to live over time, and it will impact and affect the daily habits, the things that we do every day. But that's a pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit of what that looks like. And this message of God's acceptance for us, of his love for us, his unconditional love for us, that's the heart of the good news of Jesus. There's nothing you have to do to earn his love for us. And as much as we really, really need that acceptance from God, we need to know that our heavenly Father accepts and loves us just where we are, even in our failures and our shortcomings. The truth is we all need that from other people as well. And that, that comes, if not primary, at least partly from our friendships, which is what this week's practice is focused on. It's our first weekly practice 
And it's this, the first weekly habit that we're going to talk about today is an hour of conversation with a friend. Now, as we think about this idea of friendship and this receiving unconditional love and acceptance from other people, what we begin to realize is that as human beings, we're social creatures. We're, we're wired for this. We're hardwired for relationship. And of course, scientists are continuing to learn more about just how deep and hardwired that need for social connection is. Uh, in the book, Social, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect, Dr. Matthew Lieberman, who's a social cognitive neuroscientist, how's that for a job title, social cognitive neuroscientist, that's a job. Um, he actually argues that human beings that as we've developed over time, we've become actually more connected to one another, to the social world around us, and actually more dependent on one another. Our, our, our lives, we're actually learning, I think, and seeing this in, in, the, in the pandemic right now, just how engaged we are, how dependent we are in, in our economies, but, but also relationally, how tied we are and how much of an impact it has on us when our social world is interrupted. Or, or, or broken in some way. And our need for social connection is so strong and so deep that in this book, Lieberman actually argues that it's a fundamental human need, much like food and water. It's something that if human beings lack it over too much time, there's, there's negative, both, uh, both emotional, psychological, but also physical consequences from being deprived of human connection and interaction. And he actually asserts that we don't think nearly enough about these social motivations and how we could benefit from understanding them in how we think about education and how we structure our schools, how we set up our businesses and our interactions and our partnerships with other people in a variety of other contexts. Now, it's all really interesting to read about the work that science has been discovering about this, but for those of us who read the Bible and consider it a reliable source of insight into life and the nature and the origin of humanity, this isn't really surprising. Because from beginning to end, what you see is that this is how human beings have been created. This is how God made us. In Genesis, the, the opening book, the first book of the Hebrew scriptures, we find this, this epic poetic account of God's creation of all things. And in the very first chapter, in this poetic language, what we see is the author is describing this, this creative work that God is doing. And he used this, uses this poetic rhythm in chapters one and two over and over. He, he, he describes God's creative activity as God literally speaking things into existence, that in, his, in his, his infinite power, God can simply speak or say something, and, it, and it's so. And then God looks at it and, and describes it. He judges it as good. So God says, let there be something, and it was so. And God looks at it and says, it's good. So God is literally speaking the universe, the cosmos into existence. And he says or commands that things be created. Light, darkness, the earth, the seas, the heavens, what we call the constellations, uh, animals, plant life. He see, simply speaks them into existence and he says, let there be. And it was. And then God's really enjoying it. And he looks at it and he says, that is really good. At each step along the way, everything he creates, he says, it's good until he comes to this interesting point, and, and as, the, as the author is describing this, he, he comes to this point in chapter two, where he says that God creates his, his maybe his crowning achievement, his, his crowning creation, humankind, human beings, created in his own image, the author says. 
And it, God creates it, but the pattern is broken. God looks down, chapter 2, verse 18, God looks at what he's created, looks at humankind, and he says, it's not good. It's not good for the man, for Adam, for the human being to be alone. And he concludes, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So we know this story. A lot of us have heard this a lot. We know that God creates a complement, a helper, or a completer might be a better word. And we know that he creates woman, that, that something about God's creative activity intended there to be gendered sexuality and in complementing pairs. And there's a lot going on here. We see that God's created intent is for men and women to have a complementary relationship with one another. And we know that this relationship, as he goes on, the author goes on to describe, it finds its ultimate realization in marriage. And, and we see that God's intent in, in, was that, that this kind of relationship would actually be procreative to foster new life. But fundamentally, what we also see here is that God created human beings not to be alone, to live in a connected relationship with one another. And this gets affirmed over and over again in the Old and in the New Testaments in the Bible. In, in, in throughout the Bible, we see these verses, uh, like from Proverbs 18, where it says, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. There's this deep wisdom tradition that, that says that the value of friendship is akin to your family. Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. There's this sense of, of friendship, real true brotherhood and sisterhood in friendship. He's not just for the good times and enjoying things together, but it's in maybe the worst times that we need friends. We need people that we're connected with. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter four, similar idea, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. We, we can all relate to times in our lives where we fell down, either literally or figuratively, and we needed someone to help us up. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see this, this affirmation in the wisdom li literature of the importance of friendship. And of course, we see friendship at the center of Jesus's life as well. Jesus spent three years living in close community with a very small circle of people, a, a small circle of men who became more and more than just his students. They weren't just his students, they were his friends. Over time, they became closer and closer, and so much so Jesus even said that we're like family. Anyone who follows me, he would say, is like my family, like my brother or my sister. And then as he was preparing to depart and to leave his mission with them, he gave them instructions that they were to live in the same way that they had seen him live. And they were to teach others to do likewise. In John chapter 15, he says this to his disciples. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You see, Jesus knew the faults and the failures of his disciples intimately. He had seen them. He had taught them these ways of, this way of living connected 
to his father. He, he had shown them the inside of what it looks like to live a life fully connected to God. And he had seen as they had fallen and failed repeatedly, but, but their perfection was not the goal. He loved and accepted them, in, not in spite of their failures, but even because of their failures. He had sympathy and compassion for them, and he, he was there helping them every step along the way. This is the vital nature of friendship that's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of what it means to be human. And we see Jesus living this out as the quintessential human. And at a deep level, you know, I think we know this, don't we? I mean, at a deep level, we know how good and vital to life friendships are. We can all think back in our lives to, to some fond memories that we have of spending time with good friends and what that means. Maybe, maybe for you, you think you're thinking back to friends means going back to high school and remembering the people that you grew up with. Maybe you went to, to school with them. You lived in the same town, went to high school together and you'd been friends for a long time. And you, maybe that's when you think about your deepest friendships. That's where you go back to. For many of us, we think back to friends that we made around shared experiences like going to camp together every year or going on some kind of a trip together that really bonded us. For, for a lot of us, including myself, we have great memories about friendships from our time in college, from, from those years where we were all brought together from different walks of life, from different places, and we were all in the same place at the same time and sharing these experiences together. And we just built these, these deep, deep friendships, unlike any other time in life. We can all think back on times we made or initiated good friendships. Maybe you still stay close with a lot of these people today. But unfortunately, I think for many of us, good friendships are elusive, especially as we get older. For many of us, when we think back about close friendship and this idea of someone who knows you and accepts you in a really close and personal way, we're thinking back on great memories. We're not thinking about our present life experiences today. Why is that? Why is it that most of our, for many of us, a lot of our experiences of friendship are in the rear view mirror? Why does it seem that as the older we get, the harder it gets to keep old friendships going? And at the same time, it gets more and more difficult to make new friends. Well, for starters, I just want to affirm it's not your imagination and it's not just you. Psychologists and sociologists have been studying this phenomenon for a long time, since the 1950s. And what we now know, what's well accepted, is that, that there's a few key ingredients that are necessary for us to make close friends and keep close friends. Here's what, here's what scientists kind of agree that makes up the, the, the components of a good friendship and making quality friendship. Number one, proximity. It's easiest to keep and to make new friends with the people who we're around regularly, with people who we're connected with, without, without the need to plan interactions or go out of our way. Uh, these are our no neighbors, our coworkers, schoolmates, people that we share a close context with and the people that we see without really having to work on it too much. Proximity is one of the key components of friendship. And proximity often breeds repeated interactions, repeated interactions. Friendships grow over time, with regular interactions with other people. You can't speed up the process. You can't fast forward, you can't microwave it. it. Takes time. Real, true friendship takes time. And the third one, and this one may be the most difficult for us, 
is vulnerability. This is important because when someone knows you beneath the surface, that's when you begin to see friendship really advance. When they see the worst parts of you, they know the parts of your past that you're most embarrassed about, and they love you anyway, that's when you begin to see and receive the kind of love that God has for you from another person. But this is often one of the most difficult parts of deepening friendships, is having the courage to disclose something painful or embarrassing about yourself. And it's risky. It's risky because what if they, they're horrified about this part of my past? What if they reject me? What if they don't want to be around me anymore when they found out? If they knew these things, then they probably wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. And so we keep those things close to us. These are the fears and anxieties that keep us at the surface level. These are the fears and anxiety, anxieties that come up around being vulnerable with other people. But isn't it true? Haven't you had the experience? There's nothing like that feeling of taking that risk and sharing something that, that's so personal to you and taking that risk and having the other person say, me too. Me too. I had, the ex I had a very similar experience. I know exactly how you feel. Or, or wow, thanks so much for sharing that with me. That must be really difficult. That must have been really painful. And yet it's so difficult to push past that and to share that we often stay at a surface level. And, and these practices of making and sustaining friendships, these three components, we all, we, they're well known what they are. And, and we know what, they, what, they, what it takes to, to build friendships. And yet it's easy to see how the gravitational pull of our life, how the gravitational pull of our modern world actually begins to pull us away from what it takes to make friends and keep friends. If we think about our modern life, what we see is that there's a lot of just default behavior that pushes us in the opposite direction of deep friendships. Instead of experiencing pro proximity, often mobility undermines our ability to have lasting proximity with other people for very long. Friends from high school were great, but how many of us live in the town where we went to high school? How many people stay in the town where they grew up? Not very many. We, we're so much more mobile than any other generation in history. Same with college, right? Making in friends in college was easy. I hear this story so many times. People just lament, like that life is not as easy. It's not as easy to make and keep friends as it was in college, of course not. But because college was such a unique environment. Everybody was there from different places. They were, they were all sharing proximity. We were all sharing proximity with one another, either living in the dorm or going class to classes with the same set of people. And we were all in this stage of life where things were new and different, and we were open to being more transparent with one another. But the reality is college doesn't last. People leave college. They, they graduate eventually and move away. I mean, a lot of us try to try to drag it out and hold on as long as possible. God knows I did. I mean, I got two degrees. I say I saw six football seasons. I stayed in college as long as I possibly could. But even I eventually had to graduate and grow up and move on. And that makes it difficult when you're living in a different place than these people you've had great friendships with. The second thing I think that, that moves us away from regular interactions is we have fragmented interactions. Even when we do share proximity with people today, often we undermine it by overextending ourselves too broadly. So we're never going deep or spending regular time with any one group of people or any, with, with, any, with any handful of people that we could get closer to. So we work with people or we live next door to, to people 
or come to church with them, but we never spend enough time with any of them to get to know them beyond a surface level. And they don't get to know us. This leaves us with a lot of connections or acquaintances. This is the curse of social media. We're connected to a lot of people, but we don't know anyone and we're not known by anyone very deeply. Which brings us to the third point, which is surface conversations. We know a lot about each other, but we don't really know each other. And ironically, a lot of people who have the most active social lives, scientists have found in studies that they actually describe feeling the most lonely. Why? Because we can have repeated interactions with other people, but if they're not relationships of trust, or if we don't feel supported or known in those relationships, then they can feel hollow and empty. And at the end of the day, we can begin feeling like we're in a state of crowded loneliness. Wherever we, we're connected to a lot of people, but no, known by no one. And this has been true for a lot of us for a long time. And yet I think that this current moment that we're living in during this pandemic, it's, it's just made things worse. It's, it's just, you know, kind of poured gasoline on the fire. Many of us have been going through life, going to work, going to the gym, going to social events, coming to church on Sundays with this dull sense of dissatisfaction with our relationships but at least we had connections. At least we were able to see people on a regular basis and have these surface interactions, which were never really feeding us, but, but at least it was something. But when all those things are taking away, the crisis of loneliness and isolation that so many people have been feeling in our society already has just been made worse. So what can we do about it? Is there any hope? Is there anything that we can do to, to combat the modern life that moves us away from deeper friendships and begin to cultivate and develop new friendships, but also deepen existing friendships? Absolutely, absolutely. I think there, there's good news that, that there is something we can do. It takes intentionality. It takes changing our habits, making small changes over time, and then seeing the, the impact of those after not just weeks, but months or years. And that's where this week's practice comes in. This week's practice, again, is an hour of conversation with a friend. And the goal is to begin building some intentional interactions with people in your life and to begin taking steps to be vulnerable in those relationships appropriately and at the right pace. You don't want to dump everything on someone right away. You want to be cautious and make sure that someone is trustworthy. But then you want to take steps to deepen those relationships over time. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, well, this is really easy. You know, I already do this. I already talked to my friends from college. I talked to my friends from back home. I, I am well connected and I, I stay connected with those people. And I talk to them all the time. But I want to challenge you to focus on growing friendships with the people who are here in Denver. Well, I'm not here in Denver, but you know what I mean. Like where you live, like where we are, people we have proximity with. You know, when I first moved to Denver 11 years ago, um, it hit me that in my excitement to move out to Denver and to be a part of starting New Denver Church, I was so excited about this mission and about this new project and, and this new city. I, I really underestimated the cost of moving to a new city, um, especially late in my, I was uh, in my late 30s when I moved to Denver 11 years ago. 
And I'd been in Atlanta for 12 years before that. And I'd gone through the, the kind of post-college letdown. And I had established a great group of friends. I had a, a lot of deep friendships in Atlanta. And to be honest, I totally minimized that when I moved. Because I just kind of thought, well, I'll just make new friends. Or that's not that big of a deal. But the truth is, over time, I found it harder and harder to maintain those friendships that were far away. We did phone calls for a while, or I would go back to Atlanta. We had some friends come out and visit us. But over time, the lack of proximity really took its toll. And eventually, I started drifting apart from most of those friends and realized that I was at risk of becoming a statistic, just another middle-aged man with no close friends. And so in the seven or so years since I came to that realization, I began making a priority to regularly spend time with the people, especially the men who I met here in Denver through our church or otherwise in my neighborhood, through, through neighborhood relationships and other colleagues in the city who I wanted to become deeper friends with. And I began intentionally moving towards them and prioritizing time on a regular basis to get to know them and taking steps of vulnerability to share more about myself and what was really going on in my life. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you. It hasn't been easy. After seven years, I have a small handful of a few guys, I would say, that I'm good friends with. And, and there's been a lot of sadness in that process too because yes, Denver's a very transient city. And so I've invested in relationships and built friendships with people that have moved away and who I'm not as close with as I once was and that's hard but that's what it means to really seek out friendship it's to take risks to be vulnerable to begin moving towards people even if even if you don't know it's going to totally pay off and so even though it's difficult i want to i've really been challenged by this practice in the book since reading since i read it earlier this year to make time every week for some real honest conversation with friends sometimes i don't get to that full hour Sometimes it's just a few conversations of 15 or 20 minutes or so, but I so relish being able to get lunch or a beer or, or even now in these times, being able to go for a walk and have a, a phone conversation with a close friend, somebody in the city who's, who's experiencing and share honestly about what our experiences are like. There's no other way to experience the real lasting friendships that all of us were made for than to make it a priority, to make it a habit. So that's our assignment for this week, to spend intentional time talking with a friend or multiple friends. Shoot for an hour, but you might have to start with just having the courage to make a phone call, reach out to someone and work your way up over time. And if you're here today and you're thinking, I would really love to make some new friends, but I don't know where to start. Why not here? Why not today? In a few minutes, we're going to do what we always do on Zoom. We're gonna open up this chat room. We're gonna open up the microphone so that people can chat with one another. Reach out to somebody you see online who, who you haven't talked to in a while. Somebody who you, you think, I'd like to get to know that person at a deeper level. I'd love to have a conversation. Just reach out to them, send them a, a chat message, send them your contact information and say, I'd love to, love to connect this week. Or if you wanna get really brave and you don't know anyone, just send a message out to everybody and say, hey, I'd love to connect with someone this week and see if somebody takes you up on it. That's a big bet. I think this is something that we as a church desperately need right now. We need each other. And you know what, as much as Norton and I really want to create environments where people can connect, it's getting harder and harder. And Zoom is great and technology is great. And our small groups have been good. 
but we get this sense that there are people on the fringes, people on the margins who aren't that connected and who are slipping through the cracks. And so we hope that you'll take the courage, reach out to someone, make a connection to someone this week and get to know them at a deeper level. Let's pray as we close um, that God would help us to start or, or maybe to continue this practice as we go through this week. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are so grateful that you accept us and you love us just as we are, um, not as we should be, um, because none of us are as we should be. Um, we all are in the need of that unconditional love and acceptance, and we have it from you. You give it to us, and that is such a firm foundation to stand on in life. But sometimes, God, we, we need to hear the voice, an actual tangible vo voice of somebody who can be that kind of love for us. We so desperately need friendships. We need friendship in our marriages. We need friendships in our working relationships. We need friendships in our neighborhoods. We need friendships at all areas of our lives. And yet, we know that modern life often pulls us apart, pulls us away from those things. Give us the courage to be a people that are different, that, that focus on the people that, that we live around and that we spend time around. Help us to prioritize regular interactions with them. And God, give us the courage to be vulnerable, to take steps of vulnerability and invite that into other people, to be trustworthy friends who invite vulnerability in others as well. That we might receive the love you have for us through the friends that you bring into our lives. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.